Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 261 of the podcast for August 30th, 2016. Joining me today is an old friend and a trusted mentor, Jamie Flinchbaugh. Among other things, he's the co-author of the book, The Hitchhiker's Guide to Lean. He writes for a number of publications, has his own blog, and was previously a guest blogger here on leanblog.org. He's a speaker and an investor, including companies like Kinexus and just an all-around great guy. Now, Jamie was previously a guest on episodes number 5, 6, 10, 50, and 64. Uh, we're long overdue for another one. Um, this episode is intentionally more conversational than most, with no more of a plan coming into it you know, than me asking Jamie what's new. So I hope you'll enjoy the chat that we had and the issues that are raised and discussed. Jamie's also in the process of uh, doing the final editing of a chapter for the book Practicing Lean, so I'm happy to be adding that to the book uh, in the near future. Jamie is also going to be giving a keynote talk at our upcoming Kinexus user conference. So to find links uh, to all of that, including the old episodes, go to leanblog.org slash 261. So today's podcast is going to be a little bit different than most. You know, normally there is you know, sort of diligent planning of teeing up some questions. And you know, while I keep things conversational with our guests, uh, we're going to do something a little bit different today with, uh, with our good friend, Jamie Flinchbaugh. Hey, Jamie, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So what we're going to do different today, and Jamie and I have kind of pretty specifically said, we're going to do just kind of a free-form, open conversation. We know each other pretty well, and you know, I think we'll have a good chat here. So just to tee things up, um, Jamie, what are you thinking about these days? What are, what are some things you've been working on? Well, it's, um, I've had some opportunities to reflect. Uh, I spent 15 years uh, with Andy Carlino and the Lean Learning Center, and now that I've left and uh, looking, at, looking at what else I'm doing, there's, it gives me a chance to reflect on what's, what's working, what's not working in the, in the lean world. Uh, not just the lean consulting world, but the lean world in general. So kind of a big step back and uh, drawing some conclusions around uh, where, where companies and organizations are um, with their lean journeys and, and also where the support infrastructure is for, for the lean journey. I mean, I, I guess it's sort of a lean style to, to start with the problems first. Um, I mean, what, what's something in that category of, you know, kind of broadly speaking, what, what's not working in the lean world in, in certain instances? We can come back and talk about things that are working, but what, what's something you see that's not working? Well, I think one thing that's not working is we're, we've been too focused on training versus practice. Um, and, and, you know, training is necessary. Training is good. Um, uh, how do you learn these things without some me training mechanism? Um, but, but too much of the, the plans are, are really based heavily on training first. And I've, I've said for a long time, you first need your, your application plan. What are you trying to do? What skill sets? What areas? Before you start building your training plan. Um, but as I really look around, I, I see that we're almost further down the wrong path on a lot of applications. So 
you know, we train people without a clear expectation of the ability to support them. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, we've seen that with organizations over the years, but it's one that I, I haven't seen get a whole lot better. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say, I mean, I think, you know, training, uh, you know, to me, it's, it's in that category of necessary, but not fully sufficient. I mean, I think I see a lot of, I, in the healthcare land, uh, the, the tone or sometimes even very directly stated from executives is, you know, they think lean is all about training the employees because it must be the, you know, the employees are the problem. They're not being lean. So we'll train them. And now they're going to be lean. I'm like, well, wait a minute. It's not. No, <laughs> I don't think right. that, that's not really it. Like what what uh, maybe it kind of falls along the lines of not defining a problem statement. You know, say, so, well, somebody said lean training. They said lean was good. And our mental model says we we learn stuff through training. So I'm going to hire a trainer. I see a lot of that. Absolutely. Yeah, it's the first it's the first thought. And um, and it's easy and it's easy to package. And there's benefits as oh, I sure. said, to training is it's easy yeah. to control. It's very scalable. Uh, there's a lot of benefits, but we've we've just been too centered on on that. Um, and I think one one extension of that point that really gets to one of my other conclusions is that we've really done a, a, still a, a relatively poor job of integrating uh, the lean mindset into the daily rhythm of the organization. Um, and I don't mean just the ability to see waste and solve problems and do problem solving, but we still do everything. Everything still has lean in front of it as it's as a um, as a denominator that says, "Well, here's the lean newsletter instead of just the communication plan." And yeah. Here's the lean training instead of just the manager training, and and we're, we we still have you know, said lots of lean steering committees instead of just the executive management team and their planning around how they lead the cultural transformation of the organization. And so getting this into the, the daily fabric and saying, what do we need to do to lean lean? And then where does it fit from a touch point, from a cadence, from a decision-making rights, where does it fit in the organization? Yeah. Um, and that integration, I think, is still many steps away yeah i mean i think you know there's there's difficult transitions from uh, awareness to practice to understanding trying to work toward mastery but then also trying to go for you know transitions from lean being something new and almost by definition having to be a program and, and transitioning or trying to, you know, is, is it a matter of managing a transition or just waiting until it becomes the way we do things around here? Um, a lot of organizations don't make those jumps, unfortunately. Yeah, they, they don't. And, and um, you know, a lot of those, uh, a lot of those journeys are very dependent upon one company learning from another. And so I, I, I saw this, in fact, today, of an organization where there's somebody new, they had a strong lean program at their last company, and it's the only company they've ever worked at. So they just picked up the package, lock, stock, and barrel, but the, the tangible package, not the whole thing, because you can't, but the, the templates and the models and the agendas and the assessments and just brings it over and says, here's, here's the package. Here's how we do it. And, and that, in many ways, keeps it um, keeps it separate. Uh, it also, I think, leads to 
a lot of copycat and a lot of progression yeah. within certain industries, but lack of penetration into others. And so you still see a lot of different fields of work where there's very little uh, efforts at really understanding how lean applies. Yeah, and I think, you know, there's, I think, you know, there's a difference between being part of a really good lean system and making that leap out into other organizations and, and trying to help them turn around. So, yeah, I, I know you, you, you and I both have, you know, been in organizations that were trying to go from bad to good. Um, I've seen, you know, back when I was in manufacturing uh, 12 years ago, um, you know, a couple of people I, and, and I've, I've learned a ton from for, former Toyota people, so I'm not trying to fault them or, or generalize, but there was one guy I worked with, at Honeywell, who was a former Toyota guy, and he was just miserable because I, you know, I think he was hired in partly because, well, you're going to help us be more like Toyota. And he got wound up in the cycle where he was just really miserable because Honeywell was not Toyota. And he would get really sidetracked, you know, and get really, really upset. And I, I think sometimes he just um, lost hope. Like he, it wasn't Toyota, so part of his brain just sort of shut off and it, and it started feeling kind of hopeless to him. And I've, I've seen similar things in healthcare where I've talked to people who had been at Theta Care for a long time. That was their only lean experience. And, and they felt like, okay, well, here's a smoothly functioning system. And they got hired in somewhere else and, and they feel kind of lost maybe in a different way. Like, well, this place is not Theta Care. What do I do next? I mean, have, have, you've you've probably worked with people who we're trying to help organizations that way. What, what kind of, what, what have you done to help people who, there could be a listener out there who feels similarly lost. I'm, I'm curious what yeah. your thoughts are. Well, I'm sure there is. I think one, um, one phrase that we adopted uh, a long time ago was, if you're not frustrated, you're, you're probably not working on the right problem. Yeah. And so, you know, that's, that's more empathy than it is actually solving it. But I, I do think, I, I do think there's some truth in that. Is that if you if you really do want to make an impact, it's going to be frustrating. I mean, just that's what you signed up for when you said you wanted to make a difference. Yeah. So I think there's some realization in that. But as far as why we get so trapped into that, you know, in very good lean thinkers and certainly many of the, uh, the the lean pundits, if you will, the gurus have a very idealistic view. We think about what the ideal state looks like, we think about how the world should work and what we're trying to make it work like, and we can't get there. At least we can't get there very quickly. And, and I think setting more sensible and pragmatic goals along the way of, well, uh, you know what, I'm not trying to change the culture, I'm just trying to change Bob. You know, and I'm going to work on Bob and get Bob to, to the point where he's engaged and then I'll work on the next goal. Um, and, and celebrate and, and, and recognize the progress made in that way yeah. uh, because it, it doesn't happen all at once. And when you're ideal, when you have a very powerful and, and far out ideal state vision, um, you, you can't measure, uh, it's, it's, it's such a distance, you can make huge progress but it looks like 1% and it feels very useless. So you need to be able to measure progress for yourself and, yeah. and see, do the look back as well as the look forward. I think that's a good reminder. I mean, what, what are the old, the, the circle, the circle of interest, the circle of influence, um, 
No, I mean, I, what you said resonates with me because, you know, there are good things going on in, in healthcare. People are changing cultures. They're, they're putting a management system in place where what existed before, arguably what, you know, it just wasn't, wasn't a management system. Um, and they're making progress on patient safety, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm guilty of this as well. You see, well, you know, the ideal kind of like people in manufacturing talk about zero defects and healthcare, we talk about zero harm and, um, yeah, it seems a long way off sometimes. So it's good to step back and make progress with something somewhere, at least feel like there's some forward momentum, right? Absolutely. And, you know, you never know. I mean, the, the organization, there is organizational science, but it's not a it's not a precise machine. And you never know which step of progress is going to lead to other breakthroughs. So you make one step of progress, it might lead to one other step of progress. You also might make a step of progress and all of a sudden there's 40 things going on at once. And it's, it's, there's ways in advance to sort of analyze the potential of those different steps, but there's, there's no way to really know which one or ones are going to in total actually work. So, the more you keep moving forward, you never know when that's going to start triggering a whole bunch of, of breakthroughs. Yeah. And it's not even as simple as two steps forward, one step or yeah, two steps forward, one step back or that step back back leads to steps forward. Um, lots of little steps sometimes lead to a big leap forward. I mean, I'm reminded when I was in uh, Japan a couple of years ago, as a hospital CEO. They've been doing TQM and quality and he was really engaged in that and lean terminology and method was still pretty new to them but yeah they, they had this great foundation and they had a leadership a leader a ceo who realized and you know said hey you know quality is my responsibility this is my organization um and he was talking about you know uh, you know this side this approach you know he talked he was basically saying this sounded like you know the u.s he said you know innovation is really uh, a trendy thing to talk about here in japan but you know nobody really you can't really plan to innovate all you can do is do lots and lots of improvement and you stumble across innovation, which you know seems really like kind of the classic Kaizen message. It's not even lots of little ideas lead to a big impact, but little ideas sometimes, you know, striving for little ideas, you, you stumble across a big idea occasionally. I thought it was a really interesting point that he made. Yeah, and I think that idea, the, the, the efforts to get your arms around it, um, whether it's innovation or lean, a lot of the advice ends up being very similar in that you need your Kaizen promotion office, you need your your lean team, you need your innovation uh, 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 function, because it's it's very easy to then get your arms around the work. You know who you need to talk to, you know who owns the plan. And I think in some ways it's one of the failures of outside organizations, consultants, educators, gurus, because you know we can't touch every part of the organization it is um uh, it, it's 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 too nebulous it's too large it's uh, too little bandwidth uh, and i'm not saying that those are bad things to have a kaizen promotion office or a lean team no. not that they're bad things to have it's just that we try to channel so much of the efforts through one set of resources and and that's not the embodiment of your lean journey yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Kaizen promotion office or lean department, it come, I think to me, it comes back to that theme of necessary, but not sufficient, where, um, you know, sometimes people overly rely 
on that department. Anytime this is a problem, well, write up a charter, send it to the, the lean department. And they're maybe, you know, shortchanging the process of trying to build capabilities. Now, you know, the lean team may come in and say, well, you know, our goal is not just to solve this for you, but to build capabilities, you know, if they're a good lean team. But, you know, I guess, you know, we're making if we're making a, someone's taking notes here you know there can be an over-reliance on training there can be an over-reliance on the kpo or the lean office there can be an over-reliance on lean events i mean i guess there's these these are old stories i guess or cautionary tales even from manufacturing i see people doing that in healthcare even yeah absolutely it's um you know it's it, they aren't necessarily new problems it's just uh how far have we made progress on on getting past them? And they'll they'll always be there to some degree, um, but we need to. We, I think we we do need some creative solutions and some different approaches to to start thinking about them differently. Yeah. Well, so let let's shift and and you know I think we've pointed out you know kind of in the spirit of continuous improvement, you know, what are some things that we see are a problem, you know, you, you and I individually and listeners as individuals, you know, we can, we can do something about some of those uh, problems or, or concerns, turn that into improvement or a better path. Um, but, you know, if, I'm curious from your reflection, I mean, what are some things that you see that are working or is there any, 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 any trends that kind of excite you um, about what you see going on out there and, the practice of lean. Well, I think I, I think we are uh, significantly not past, but made a lot of progress on the idea that lean is about behaviors, lean is about capabilities, and it's not just about tools. So, so that that's a drum I've been beating for a very long time, and um, I'm not I'm not done with it. But it certainly right. has has come a long way. Um, uh, whether it's the consultant community or the, the book writing and author community or the internal leaders that see lean in a certain way. I think we've come a very long way in that, in that particular area. Um, but I think is that once, once it's about behaviors and capabilities, then it's about where do we start to deploy them and, and thinking, thinking big instead of thinking small uh, meaning, are we truly integrating this into our strategy and saying, this is where we want to go, uh, this is how we're going to get there, and that's all one conversation, that's all one thought process, as opposed to the, um, the idea that we, you know, we develop a strategy and then everybody figures out how they can use Lean uh, to help them get there as, a, as, a, as an afterthought. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think I think that's uh, I've seen a lot of improvement in that particular area where uh, when when the lean the center of the lean conversation is not finding trivial problems to solve, it is really trying to find important problems to solve and change the organization again. Part of that where is our strategy going, and how do we have to operate differently? I think one of the other interesting trends that uh, that helps enable that is that we're also seeing an awful lot of people who who grew up with lean and now in leadership roles. So one of the biggest challenges in the past was how do I convince my plant manager, CEO, whatever leadership position you wanted, 
And now, more than ever, they're the ones leading it. Um, they they might have they, it came up through the ranks. They might have even done a stint on a lean team. And um, now they're the plant manager. Now they're the VP of ops. Now they're the the, the CEO. Um, and and you know they might not be a lean zealot, but they're 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 certainly a lean thinker and a lean leader. And and they naturally work that way more because of their ability to practice with high repetition and high focus and coaching earlier in their career. So let me take a detour because you use a phrase that always fascinates me and I've got mixed feelings about it. Uh, lean zealot, like, you know, that, that, that word, it's, it's a loaded word in different ways. I mean, how, how do you define a lean zealot? Do you, do you view that as generally a positive thing or are there downsides sometimes where someone's lean zealotry is a problem? Well, absolutely. So if you, if you go back to the definition, it is, you know, is passionate but uncompromising. Um, and, and, and it's the uncompromising where it causes problems Yeah. Um, because you kind of say, no, this is, we got to do it this way. If we don't do it this way, then we can't call it lean. It's not right. It's not the way Toyota would do it. It's not the way these guys would do it. And so it's wrong. Therefore, you're wrong. And they go off on a tangent. So, okay. so Zealot is, is passion, but uncompromising passion. Um, one of the most interesting compliments I ever got, somebody called me a pragmatic Zealot, um, <laughs> yeah. which I, I liked because I, I do like, I am passionate. I do like to hold uh, myself, my clients, uh, people around me to a higher standard. But there's still a pragmatism to what, you know, what you can do when and where and how. Yeah. But I think, I, I think you have to be careful with the zeal. I think we need them. And I think the reason they need them, we need them is that without them, we would compromise our way down to nothing. Right. So if we, if we just kept compromising and saying, well, we probably can't do that. So let's just do a little bit less. And yeah. Oh, that's pretty hard too. Let's just yeah. do a little bit less. Or if you I, say, ah, uh, you know, uh, who cares? Do whatever you want. Man, uh, yeah, that too much of that can get things off on a, a bad path. I mean, I've, I've, I've been guilty at times. I mean, I, or, uh, you know, the good and the bad of lean zealotry. I mean, there's times where I've gone down maybe a path that's not helpful or, you know, it's not always, or, you know, it's, it, uh, you know, it probably turns some people off. I guess that's the risk of zealotry. Some people say, yeah, thanks. Thanks for sticking up for that point. And then... Sometimes people might look at that and say, "Well, that's not a real attractive way to be," or it may, it may turn people may turn people off. Um, but I, I, I sometimes also hear the phrase "lean purist," and that makes me scratch my head sometimes. Like, what what, what does that mean? Is, is is that just a different flavor of lean zealot? What what's that phrase mean to you? I think it can be a, a form of lean zealot, but I, I think it it might very much mean the context in what. How, why somebody's describing themselves that way. And, and the reason I say that is that there's, there's a lot of um, uh, very derivative products, if you will, very strange deviations in the lean journey that people don't know where they came from. And so it's, I think it's, to some, it means that I don't try to follow this nice little packaged version. I try to go back to the original version. Yeah. Uh, the true version, the pure version. So I think, you know, there's certainly a hint of um, elitism in it. 
But I think probably more than not, there's some some goodness in that they are seeking a, a, a good, effective, and true version of, of lean as opposed to a uh, manipulated, packaged, and, yeah. uh, and and to use your phrase, lame version of lean. As the, as the acronym, for those who aren't familiar with my incredibly awkward acronym, you know, lame, lame, lean as misguidedly executed or lean as mistakenly explained. I mean, you're, you're making me reflect a little bit. And I think I, you know, I do get a bit zealous um, when, when I hear people say, and I've blogged about this a bunch, I won't go on and on about it now. But, you know, when, when people in the Lean Six Sigma crowd say, you know, lean is for speed and you need Six Sigma for quality. I'm like, well, wait a minute. I think I think that's demonstrably a false statement. And, you know, I think there, there's an uncompromising principle there that the core of lean and TPS is about flow and quality, that they go hand in hand. And, you know, no, I don't think someone's entitled to a different set of facts about there uh, about that. But, you know, I try not to be dogmatic in ways where, you know, I, I, you know, sing, like to me, a single piece flow is a direction. Like I would never label a process as well. Well, that's not lean because they're doing batches of four. Like, well, they used to do batches of 40. So, you know, I'll take it for what it is. It's way better than it used to be. Um, you know, I'm not dogmatic about saying, well, you know, you always have to start with 5S. Well, well why? Like, wait a minute, you know, we can, we can challenge that. And, you know, so I, I think there's a difference between you know, I think there, there's room for debate in some areas. Uh, and then I think there's certain things where I think we have to be uncompromising, such as the idea of, you know, sticking up for lean and Toyota when people say, um, you know, as I heard a guy once say, uh, well, if you apply lean to a quality problem, you'll make defects faster. I'm like, man, that's that's just BS. And if, if if saying so gets me labeled a zealot or a purist, OK, I, I can sleep with, uh, you know, I can sleep well at night with that, you know. Yeah, and I think I think some of it is you know there's opportunities to educate people in those moments because yeah it, it is it is from a sense of ignorance and and you know most ignorance is we're, we're blind to and I'm sure I'm blind to my uh, yeah. my moments of ignorance but I I recently commented on somebody who was really sort of chastising lean kind of using a very very weak effort in my opinion to to talk about solving really complex problems with spaghetti diagrams and value stream maps. And, and it was, it was really just, um, it, it's one thing to be wrong about it. It's another thing to, uh, stand up and say it on a stage. And, and I think if you try to, which I've seen, are, yeah. which we see plenty of, which people are trying to promote, uh, just a flawed understanding. That's when I think it's worth, um, not worth criticizing, but at least worth trying to correct or at least squeeze into the same conversation, um, at least an opposing view, uh, at yeah. least get it out there and not allow it to go unchallenged. Yeah. And I think I react differently to it where, let's say, if I was working with a client or if I was doing training and and somebody said kind of in the spirit of, like, well, you know, I'm 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 new to this and it seems like blah, blah, blah. And they say one of those things. I, I would be a lot more patient in teaching and coaching mode. I react differently when I hear somebody label themselves an expert, a word, blah, you know, I don't like that word or, you know, 
guru or whatever and you know and they're standing up in sort of uh, in in a spirit of expertise or i'm a world-class something or other but they think they're a world-class expert they end up sounding like a world-class something else but you know i think <laughs> yeah, when, when someone's speaking from authority and and they're, they're kind of spouting um like you said you know ignorance is like is, is it their fault that they haven't been taught something or is it their fault that they've been taught the wrong thing maybe not um I try to be a little patient, but it's harder. It, it's hard. And, and, you know, I think it, it's one thing to stand up on a stage and, and, and spew the wrong uh, understanding. But then if, if you aren't willing to at least listen to other viewpoints, um, then it, it, that's, that's a whole different, different yeah. problem to me. And I've tried to. There's a lot of things. This is my opportunity to reflect, uh, having, having kind of run a business with, with some fundamental principles, of not just about lean, but around how I run a business, how I do things from a business standpoint. And there's a lot of them that, you know, I, I've, I kind of held true. I just said, this is how we do things. And I operated that way for a long time. And uh, now I'm, I'm looking at and say, you know, open to challenges, open to new ideas, open to reconsideration. Um, and I think that's, you know, it's a nice opportunity to reflect. And a lot of the changes are, or, or, or opportunities to, to think differently is just because, you know, the world changes, it matures, it, it all oh, sorts of uh, yeah. context around it changes. Yeah. <laughs> we talk about people standing on stage spouting ignorance and being unwilling to learn it sounds like we're suddenly talking about politics but we're <laughs> well if somebody cuts in there they might think that but of course that's that's been true for uh, for generations so. I, 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 and, and, and my my I think I'm a nonpartisan cynic or a, a bipartisan cynic I don't know but anyway um, so let, let's let's do I, I jotted out a few questions uh, maybe let's do a little bit more rapid fire random topics uh greg jacobson and i from kinexus we just we sometimes do an ask us anything and uh and sometimes that that leads to unusual questions so what what's a book you've read recently that's not about lean that you really enjoyed and would recommend to people uh so easy choice is deep work um, say, say that again i'm sorry it cut out the, the the book is deep work deep work. um and it's you know it's it's really about how how difficult it is to think creatively, deeply, effectively about a topic, a problem, or whatever, when we're we're basically constantly just responding, reacting, um, and immersed in information flows and emails and meetings and everything else. Then it partly lays out the problem, but also gives ideas for how to start to fix it. And I have already, you know, it's not a new problem, and, it, and most of the prescriptions aren't, um, aren't, aren't that creative in the sense that some of it's creative, you know, common sense. You know, it's very hard to think creatively yeah. in five-minute intervals if that's all you're going to give yourself. So it, you've got to find a way to peel away. Yeah. Uh, you've got to find a way to, to block out other stuff and focus. And um, so I've, I've started to... Uh, uh, adjust some of my own habits and routines and, and other planning on my calendar to make sure I have the opportunity for, for deep work. Yeah. I think a, a book, and I'm not fully finished with it yet, but I've really been enjoying it. 
and it it mentions lean and toyota but it's not a book about lean per se the book uh, team of teams by retired general stanley mccrystal it, you know it's a business book it's about uh, leadership and the need for organizations to be more nimble and less top-down um, you know lessons from the way the military has evolved with uh, the way the world has changed um, that that's a book i've really enjoyed have, have you have you read that one or i haven't read that one but um i i enjoy i almost always have a history book um often a biography going at the same time as i'm reading more educational books. Um, I, I recently finished one on Cornelius Vanderbilt and sticking with the theme of industrial era uh, moguls and reading about uh, a biography about uh, John D. Rockefeller now. And both both were, were, were long but fascinating stories. What's a, uh, what's a movie or a TV show that you really love that might surprise people that, that you love? Well, so there's probably, you know, th what's something that might be surprising? Um, yeah, I'm not. That's that's a tough one. Um, you know, I, I I do like things like The Prophet on CNBC. Which, well, that probably wouldn't surprise people. Which wouldn't surprise people, right? So <laughs> I I'm, love I'm Bar Rescue. That probably doesn't surprise people either. <laughs> probably not. So so that's that's a that's a tough one. Um, of what would surprise people? I don't I don't tend to watch a whole lot of uh, television anymore, um, but. Um, Boy, you know, a, a, movie, a lot of people that know me know I like I like soccer, um, but there's a, a movie. It's hard to find good movies about soccer, but there's one that's also a historical movie called The Damned United. Yeah. Um, it's been out a long time. It's about uh, uh, Brian Clough in, in England and his turmoil going through uh, matching up his ego with owners of clubs and. It's a, a fairly profane uh, movie, but, but uh, an interesting story, especially knowing some of the, the context that led into it. Yeah, well, you, you did a good job coming up with an answer because I, I, I was struggling. I was listening to what you were saying, but I was also thinking, gosh, how would I answer that? Um, you, you, you can say er, that doesn't surprise anyone. Um, my, I th my, my favorite movie of all time is the uh, the the fan, you know, it. it created the genre of the fake mock documentary this is spinal tap is oh, yes. my favorite movie I've, I've probably watched it a hundred times and every time i watch it there's some little detail that makes me laugh in a different way than the other 99 times i've watched that movie it's been a long time since i saw that one it's, it, it it i think it holds up it, you know it's from 30 years ago but i, I think that's one that holds up well um, you, you mentioned soccer. I was going to ask you, and, and I have no answer for this because I've never played soccer other than on the playground in elementary school, and I don't have kids. You spent a lot of time playing and coaching and watching soccer. Is there a lesson from coaching your kids about leadership or uh, anything that, that you would pass on to people? Well, there's, there's, there's a lot. I've actually been thinking more about this lately, um, partly just to advance my own coaching mindset, mm -hmm. um, but also uh, uh, just because I, I've liked to integrate uh, those two worlds a bit. So uh, working on an article that lays out one of the leadership models I use and examples from, from coaching. But I'd say the first, the biggest thing um, for me 
is really being able to check your decisions against your intentions. So for me, player development and human development is why I coach. Yeah. So it, it, what that means is that if somebody's in a situation where uh, you know we might lose the game or at least create a risk, but taking them out of a position uh, is going to hurt them or miss a really good opportunity to develop them, for them to learn a lesson that goes beyond soccer, but also will make them a better soccer player. Yeah. And if I don't take that opportunity to, to give that person that opportunity to learn and change how they think and how they act and um, both on and off the field, then I'm a hypocrite. Then I'm not about, um, I am about winning the game more than I am about player development. So. I think that the lesson for me has been to be very, very uh, aware of my decisions and how are they consistent with my espoused values, which is first and foremost about uh, player and human development. Yeah, I mean, what you said there really reinforces, um, I think, classic lean principles, the idea of not just solving the problem or hitting your metrics, but developing people. Um, and, and really putting a heavy emphasis on that people development. I, I know people, I've, I've never heard this directly from, from Toyota, but I know people have toured Toyota plants and been surprised by a message where somebody said, well, you know, we really make developing people the primary goal. And I think that's kind of what you're saying, though. Maybe it's okay to not win every day, like in terms of, you know, what, what's, what are your production goals? Um, hopefully you don't compromise too much on quality and, and I wouldn't accuse them of that. But um, sometimes you lose the day to set yourself up for future success. I mean, it seems like yep. maybe there's a parallel. And John Shook always talks about, you know, that, that old leadership habit of jumping in and giving people an answer or solving the problem for them that you've, like you were saying, you've, you've stolen an opportunity for somebody to learn. Um, if if you do that, and I guess sounds like similar things can happen out on what do you call it the pitch? <laughs> out on the pitch. Out so the pitch. yeah, it's it's. Um, I, I think of course winning is part of learning, and you have to learn how to win too in the end. But if 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 you have a really long term um, metric or or way to evaluate, even if you can't get the feedback, it helps keep you true to how would I know if I was successful and what I really set out to do. So, yeah. so for me, what I always tell people is my ultimate measure of success is how many of the players I coach now grow up and is as adults, whether as a parent or otherwise, they continue, they coach themselves because they developed an association for the sport itself. They developed an appreciation for the role of coaching. And they, they go on to do some of that themselves. I'm not pretending I'm developing the next pro players, but if I can develop them to have a relationship with a sport for their lives, that's that's long-term view. I'll never be able to measure that, but that's how I look at it. All right, well, maybe one other question here. Um, and, and for the listeners, Jamie and I have brainstormed a little bit. Um, I've brainstormed with, uh, with Michael Lombard, who's a good friend of the blog and the podcast, some of you may know. Um, of doing maybe a different podcast series, not exactly like we've been doing today, a little bit more structured, but but definitely conversational um, around kind of a variation of the conversation meeting method called Lean Coffee for people 
who, who are familiar with that method. It's a way of sort of, you know, getting group voting on different topics and setting time limits and going through those different topics. So, you know, go to leancoffee.org if you're not familiar with this method. But Jamie and I have been talking about doing something called Lean Whiskey, where you know, it's a little bit looser format, not an interview, but we'll, we'll tee up topics. Maybe we can take suggestions of topics from the listeners and, and do a little bit looser, more conversational um, podcast. So, Jamie, I think I've sort of talked you into giving that a try, maybe, right? Well, absolutely. And I, I think about, you know, if I go to a conference, you know, when do I have my most interesting conversations uh, where I learn? And it's, it's to me, it's tough to learn a whole lot just just hanging out at a conference. But, um, but you know, you, you attend the right seminars or the right speakers or the right presentations. And, and you get, you know, somebody comes up afterwards and gives you a five-minute question. It's pretty hard to go deep. You give your best answer, and then they're like, they thank you, and they move on, and somebody else steps up and asks a question. So it, it's, not, it's tough to get a real flow going. But, but afterwards, at the end of the day, when uh, depending on the conference, if a couple of us end up, end up off in a corner over a drink and start talking shop, there's some really interesting conversations um, that that take place, and and you know that's that that happens a lot of a lot of places. But you know when we're online, when we're disconnected uh, in person, it's it's tough to go. It's tough to have those. Every every interaction has a purpose, and it's tough to just kind of relax and have the conversation. So yeah. I think it's a neat idea. And I'm going to be at the Lean Accounting Summit next week, Lean Management Summit in san antonio or it's next week from when we recorded this uh, if you're listening it's it's already happened probably but i think they were doing I, i'm trying to remember if it was an evening event if they called it lean cocktails or i'm, I'm curious if it's structured in that same way I'm, I'm not trying to trademark lean whiskey but i think the idea is to have a a conversation and um we we, we may sip on a little whiskey maybe when we're Recording those future podcasts, I haven't been today. I'm fighting allergies and drinking water, but um, we'll, we'll give that a try. Maybe that's a bit of a teaser for the people listening. But last question for you, Jamie. What is sort of a, uh, a lesser known whiskey that, that you've got on your shelf that, that you enjoy and recommend? Um, boy, I've got a, I've, most of the whiskeys on my shelf are, are lesser known. Um, but probably, probably the two favorite um, that I'm, I'm working my way through the bottle now is uh, Lagavulin and uh, Keoila. Um, and Keoila is, uh, from what I understand, is a kind of been a long-term supplier for some of the the big brands. Um, um, but this is their own yeah. their own bottle. A lot, a lot of those whiskeys go into blends like Johnny Walker or other, right. other producers. Johnny Walker, I believe they are one of the major suppliers to Johnny Walker for a long, long time. So this is their own, own uh, low, small batch uh, um, offering. Yeah, and um, those, those are both, I think, really peaty whiskeys, right? I know, I know Lagavulin generally. Lagavulin is, Camila uh, not so much, but... Uh, uh, Lagavulin certainly is, and I I like mixing it up. I don't drink yeah. scotch scotch or whiskey every day, but I like I like variety in my life. Yeah, I'm the same way. And you know, the, so a scotch I would recommend for people is uh, from a distillery called uh, Ben Riek. It's uh, B E N R 
I-A-C-H. Uh, it's a little bit lesser known. It's a Speyside whiskey. Um, they've got a number of varieties and you, you can find it sometimes at a better liquor store or a bar. But I'll, I'll also make a recommendation. Occasionally, I, I like drinking you know, bourbon, which is, of course, uh, you know, by definition, an American product and, and not necessarily from Kentucky. So there is a Texas producer. I've, I've blogged about them and I'll, I'll, I'll make a plug. It's called Garrison Brothers. They make what is legally classified federal designation straight bourbon whiskey even though it's made in Texas and uh, I really enjoy the product and the people there and I've gotten to participate in the process, which, which I've blogged about recently too. So that's my other, other recommendation. So I don't know if I, I'll, maybe I'll get a chance to share that with you sometime, Jamie. Excellent. But um, final thing, uh, I'll just make a quick plug as we wrap up here. Um, I, I think I used the phrase practicing lean earlier. Um, I, I've had a ebook project it's out there with about 15 or 16 chapters right now. Uh, the book is titled Practicing Lean. It's available uh, if you go to practicinglean.com or you can find it now on Amazon as a Kindle book. And the proceeds all go to uh, a cause that uh, I'm, I'm very passionate about, the Louise Batts Patient Safety Foundation. Goodness. That thunder came right through the microphone, I bet. Sorry. Um, <laughs> But uh, that, that book has been kind of a, a labor of love of people writing chapters about their early days of lean. And Jamie, Jamie Flinchbaugh here is uh, finishing up a chapter contribution to that book. So for those of you who have already bought the book, you'll get that update with Jamie's chapter. And if you haven't bought it yet, maybe Jamie's participation will um, get you uh, into that. But, you know, give a, a quick 30 second preview uh, of your chapter, if that's possible, Jamie. Yeah, I think it's possible. And this goes back to my, my early days in lean with Harley Davidson, um, trying to solve some problems in our very complex and integrated pull system. Uh, did some very deep dive observation and uh, in, the, in the chapter, tried to share, share some of the lessons uh, from, that, from that observation and how it really affected my lean life my lean mindset uh, as I've gone forward. Yeah. So it's, 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 it's a great chapter and I'm looking forward to that being uh, part of the book and I'm looking forward to doing some more podcasts with you, Jamie. You know, I always enjoy talking with you and, and I think it's good. We can share that with an audience. Excellent. I always like being involved. You've uh, truly been sort of a, um, a curator of the lean community in many ways, um, finding things, sharing them, and keeping us all engaged. So I appreciate coming on anytime I can. Yeah, and I just want to remind people, um, and this, well, th and th thank you for that, Jamie. I was gonna remind people uh, that, that Jamie and I are gonna cross paths in early November. Uh, for those of you who are Kinexus customers who are listening to this, we are doing our second annual Kinexus user conference and, and Jamie and I are both gonna be, we're kind of bookending the first day with uh, sharing some thoughts and in, in talks that we're each giving. So I uh, would definitely encourage people go, you can just do a Google search for Kinexus User Conference if you are a customer or if you've been talking to us or working with us, I hope you will check that out. So Jamie, thanks again for doing that and thanks again for uh, having a good conversation today. Thanks for having me, I enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, 
visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.